Here's the rest of my conversation with Rich Bolas, host of the Dad Mindset podcast. We talk about what I always have to bite my tongue about and why stepmoms have a harder time fitting into a new family than stepdads do. We even covered some pretty cool parenting hacks. Listen up. I don't often split a conversation into two episodes like this, but there was just nothing I wanted to cut out here, except the part where his little boy knocked at the door and tried to negotiate a play date with a different friend than the one dad had already made plans with. Here's a nod to all of you working from home with little distance learners in your bubble. Anyway, you'll have to excuse the one spot where it sounded like we jumped into a different conversation because we did. Here we go. And is it working? Like, has, oh, yeah. has your husband come around to it and sort of found his own way? He always had his own way. It's me that has to find my own way. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, it's their family and that's how they do things. They, it's not my family where I grew up, how we do it. It's not like it was perfect where I grew up either, yeah. but I have an internalized idea that my way is perfect because that's how I was mm. raised. And, <clears throat> and so the idea that, you know, that parents and their kids fight in a different way than how I fought with my parents, it, it feels wrong to me, but because naturally, like it's not the way that I grew up. And how, how did, how did you fight with your family? Hardly ever. Right. You just didn't. There was no room yeah. for that. The, no, no confrontation at all. Mm-mm. So like, I'm somebody who's really averse to that. And uh, it's been a real, um, blessing for me to, in my personal development to live with people who, um, who like snap at each other and fight with each yeah. other and make up with each other and apologize to each other and and uh and I mean I'm not like the way I'm talking about it you think there was like violence or something it's nothing like that but it's um it's a just very very no. different atmosphere than the one I grew up in and it just it's it's a a big part of my development to understand that this is this is okay it doesn't have to be like the way it was when I grew up and they're yeah they're working on their authentic relationship with each other and that's as it yeah. should be and I, I've seen the same thing happen as well because with our kids they'll be bickering and fighting and I'll just want to stop it because it's one it's noisy and I'm trying to concentrate on something else mm. and, and I've found myself sort of interjecting and trying to pacify play the un peacekeeper yeah and and that's a very natural role for me from my upbringing yeah and um and i think to myself no hang on a minute this is actually good because they need to figure this out for themselves like yeah. i'm not going to be there all yeah. the time yeah. and for me to just swoop in they're going to kind of expect people to to rescue the situation whereas just letting them go that little extra bit of time until one blows off storms off or whatever they need to come up with their strategies themselves exactly. and I, I find myself sort of am I robbing them of these experiences by sort of interjecting I think I was and I am still and I really try and pull myself back from it now yeah. and try and just maybe ask a question like hey how can we work this out you know let's yeah. go yeah. through this together let's problem solve I I but, just um, read somebody in a book um I'm just reading a book called Boundaries with Kids. There's a Boundaries series by Dr. Yeah. Henry Cloud. I don't know if you know that book, but um, anyway, I, I think that's where I read it. I hope I'm not misattributing, but um, 
he said that at one point he realized the same thing, just what you're saying, like, like maybe I'm not doing them a service by, by jumping in and always kind of mediating a solution. So he started to say, I don't even want to hear from you until you two have <laughs> tried to work it out together. And yeah. that they're not allowed to tattle or to come to you like until you've worked it out together, I don't want to hear from you. But when you come to talk to me, the, the one who is at fault, the one who is, you know, wrong, let's say, will probably have a consequence. And he found that that motivated the one who was wrong to work it out. Because if, it, if they, it, they can't work it out, <laughs> and dad finds yeah. out that I'm the one who did the bad thing, I broke my sister's toy or whatever, like, I'm going to get punished. And so let right. me mediate a solution that stays away from that so he you know he found that. himself saying have you guys talked yet I don't want to hear about this yet and and at one point at one point he could hear the kids talking sort of heatedly about something and wandered in and they said dad we're working it out okay <laughs> <laughs> that's great I love it yeah. I'm okay. totally gonna try that <laughs> yeah it's, as it should be yeah and that's what we want. We want our kids to be able to work things out in a, a rational, non-confrontational way because how are they going to deal in the, in the workplace later on? I think we don't give them credit for being able to figure it out. You know, you think that they're just like, um, I don't know, that they're just going to keep um, yelling or crying or perpetuating a kind of whining or whatever, but really they're so capable. There's another thing that I ran across some time ago because I've been treating um, children with behavior problems in my practice yeah. in my daytime job um, for a long time and so I read a lot about parenting and um, tools and techniques whatever and so of course we all know the ubiquitous timeout corner the timeout chair whatever you want to <laughs> call it that everybody seems to have and this idea was to have a timeout bench where kids who were fighting had to sit together on the timeout bench away from <laughs> yeah. the thing that they were doing and work out a solution. And they weren't allowed to leave until they had figured it out. And yeah. people who employ this technique swear by it and say that right. it works really well. So uh, why not? You know, it's an, I mean, you, it's very you guys similar. are benched. <laughs> I love the yeah. analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's, it was interesting because after we chatted um, just before Christmas, I think I, it hadn't dawned on me, but I'd never thought about it. But my granddad was actually, um, he married my nan. Oh. Uh, so he was a step, a step granddad. Yeah. But he was actually a big role figure in my life, in my early life. Oh, how nice. And, and I was sort of just reflecting on how he sort of assimilated into our family and then, well, obviously created their own family. And it must have been so daunting for him because he essentially married my nan who had six kids. Wow. And 16 kids, or I think it was 16, yeah. So I have a lot of cousins. And so he went from having one daughter to all of a sudden having seven children with a gazillion grandchildren wow. and it must have been quite a challenge for him at the time but he did it he handled it with a plum 
and um, and he became a beloved part of the family. He really did a, a magnificent job. Isn't that um, lovely? Yeah. And I was trying to reflect on how he went about it. And I think that he didn't really intervene, but he was always there with an ear. He would yeah, listen to anyone. That's it, exactly. That's it, exactly. And they, there's a reason that I don't work with stepdads and biological moms, which, you know, yeah. you would think, oh, I work with stepmoms and stepdads. No, I don't. I don't work with stepdads because the role is completely different. You would think yeah. it's kind of the, you would think it's the same thing and it's just not at all. Um, and the energy of those two kinds of families is really extremely different, dif- different from each other. And I don't have any personal experience that would you know, lend me to give advice to help those people overcome their kinds of problems. I don't understand. I mean, yeah. I am a biological mom. My husband is a stepdad to my daughter, but we didn't have any conflict or we didn't have the kind of conflict. I mean, also she was, you know, she was uh, older when we got mm-hmm. together. Um, yeah. And your daughter. Yeah. yeah. So um, he has been very involved, let's say in her, young adult life in helping her move house and, you know, fixing up new apartments, painting and doing little electrical jobs and installations. I mean, he's, he's been very, very helpful for her with that, but not the day to day, like we never lived as a couple with her under our roof. And we didn't, I didn't have conflict with my ex-husband around raising her or anything like Mm. that. So I, I, have nothing, I feel like I have nothing to contribute, but I appreciate how much different the role is and that you're not dealing with somebody like, like there's no, um, you're not fighting that maternal instinct when you're a man. You don't have an urge to like swoop in and start doing all the, making all the meals and washing <laughs> yeah. their clothes and making sure they brush yeah. their teeth and stuff, you know, like the ideal position for a stepdad is exactly what you said to always be there but just kind of standing to the side watching and listening and waiting for an opportunity to be helpful yes yeah and uh i think if stepmoms could do that more it would uh it would serve them really well but it's for most of us it's a it's a challenge well it's a i was going to say do you think it's just the natural instinct the mothering instinct that you said, you know, gets fired just when you have children under your roof, there is a natural instinct that kicks in. Exactly. It just gets activated when you're around kids. And, you know, most of us were babysitters, right? Um, Yeah. Many of us had little brothers and sisters. Like it's something that just starts to happen automatically. And in many cases, I would say it's very much appreciated by the partner who is, really happy to have help I mean it's not easy if you can imagine how you know you're just describing earlier like how crazy it can be with your kids and you you have a spouse right so when you're on your own it's it's really hard and you're happy to have those extra hands Um, so it's all done with the with the best of intentions and with love um, and a desire to be helpful but it gets all tangled up 
because yep. kids want to be raised, you know, by their own parents. And it's not that there's not a place for you, you know, I mean, kids love their teachers and their sports coaches and they have mentors and, and the neighbor mom is, you know, always there with a plate of cookies or your best friend's mother who, you know, <laughs> it feels like a mother to you. Like you, you can have many, many loving aunts yeah aunties and whatever yeah. you know relationships well i love life. that i love that that name that you gave like coming up with a different name for yourself yeah. and yeah. treating them all as like aunts you know yeah. like in certain cultures that they call every woman that's not their mom an aunt uh, yeah. whether they're family or not yeah yeah and so for so many women they just they hear that and they say oh i just feel like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders <laughs> You know, I can yeah, do that. Yeah. Like, because they you get, <laughs> you get kind of suckered into thinking that you're supposed to be some kind of mom. And mm. in some cases, it's a strong desire. Let's face it, like lots of women are coming into such a family, uh, like wanting to have children of their own. And it's a very strong desire to have that mothery, motherly connection with kids. So, mm. um, and then sometimes that goes great for a couple of years until it doesn't anymore. And then nobody knows yeah. how to understand what happened. Uh, so it's a, it, it's been completely fascinating journey uh, for <laughs> me to, to just be in contact with so many other women and, and dads, the dads too, you know, I'm, that's something newer for me, but I'm really feeling excited about doing more work with yeah. dads. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. I mean, I've got a friend that's going through the courts at the moment mm. and really he, he's gone through the ringer, you know, really struggled in certain areas. And um, and, and looking on, you, you know, you sort of wonder how, how can you help? And in many ways you can't. You've just got to kind of, I guess, be there yeah. for when they yeah. need and want to talk through stuff. Yeah. But other than that, the, it's, the it's such a so, hard thing. The, the court system is so ill-equipped to deal with this hmm. problem that is so ubiquitous. And, and I think um, like one of my very unconventional opinions is that parents don't actually have rights with respect to their kids. The, the child yeah. has rights and you, yeah. you are, as a parent, you are an advocate for your child's right to have the connection with you that they need. But like as a mom or as a dad, I don't know that you have rights, really. I mean, especially if they trump the rights of the child. Exactly. As in, uh, if they if they like cancel out the rights of the child, exactly. you know, because I can imagine some parents are quite not. I don't want to say selfish, but they 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 demand that they get this thing that's they're competing for something, whereas it's not sometimes the best thing for the child. And you're right. If uh, if the, if you look it's at everything, never from, the best what's thing the best the thing child. for the child? If the kids, if yeah. the parents are competing, it's by definition not right, the right thing for the yeah. child. Yeah. Um, you know, the child has the right to have a connection with their parent. And um, I think that the children are the lowest part of the <laughs> equation, you know. Uh, I mean, the, there's a lot of rhetoric about doing what's in the child's interest, but really the child should be the only um, client in a way yeah. you know yep um and it's very hard for the courts to understand what's the right thing but 
it's just, it's never right to, unfortunately, there's a, like, there's a huge financial engine at work there as well. And yeah, they, nobody makes money if the fighting stops immediately, right? Yeah. So there's, well, a, it, it, there's an interest in keeping it going. Yeah. One of the guys, um, one of my friends, well, my closest friend when I was living in Japan, he, he actually he had to go through a process of separating from his parents um, because he was fostered. But they, his, his actual parents were still claiming the, the money for him, the benefit. Really? And so, so he had to go through all this process to try and, you know, enable his the foster parents that were actually caring for him to actually access some of this this money is you know what he went through was just phenomenal you know um yeah his name is will is like i say my best friend in tokyo and he's such a cool dad but it's almost like he he figured that out himself how to become such a cool dad from such a uh, i I don't want to say messed up start but he certainly didn't start on a really good footing yeah, like yeah. he had a really tumultuous sort of upbringing and uh, multiple struggles to work through with his you know biological parents and then um you know but he, he really lucked out and had an amazing foster family to take right. care of him but um yeah it's 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 certainly um yeah when you th- think of the, the, the rights of the child it's yeah cast a whole new lens over the way you look at the court system yeah I think so I just heard one really nice story um of uh a dad in the U.S. who had I guess he'd been to court many times over the years and finally said he'd had enough uh, that he he went his his wife initiated another challenge to get custody and he decided to represent himself and he went into court and uh, he, he applied for full custody of the kids and the judge asked him if you know if you don't get if I don't give you full custody I suppose you're going to want 50 50 custody and yeah. he said no I don't I think one of us should have full custody of the kids because I think this fighting is not healthy for anybody I think they should stay somewhere they should just have full custody somewhere and um and, uh, you know, of course, I want to continue to have uh, appropriate visits with them, but I don't think we should do half and half anymore. I think they should just stay somewhere. Wow, that's such a bold move, isn't it? It was a bold move. And uh, at the time, one of the daughters had been refusing to come over and the other one was coming every other weekend. And uh, the judge made what I think was a very wise decision to grant the full custody to the mom, but to make sure that the dad, you know, it it was written in the agreement in the court papers that this daughter who didn't want to visit had to spend two hours with him when he would go there to pick up the sister. Yeah. And it also instructed the mother to allow the kids to speak on the phone with their dad by themselves without her listening in another room with the yeah. door closed. And yeah. he said within three weeks, it had turned everything around. Like it would have been a disaster <laughs> wow. if the judge had forced the, the daughter, 50, who didn't 50, want it, you know, or, or, or even given him the full custody 
he would have had a a child in his house who was didn't want to be there at all but just by by enforcing a kind of gentle renewal of contact he said like within three weeks she's starting to ask about coming over and you know it it just changed everything so that was a you know a brilliant bit of um work by a clever (laughs) judge judge. it doesn't always but also by also by the dad to actually call it because so many parents wouldn't they'd they'd be desperate to hold on to exactly and i think the we have we have a real misconception about the meaning of custody i mean even just saying the word you sort of your whole body tightens up like how could you not feels like prison (laughs) yeah take custody of prisoners exactly (laughs) that's exactly your kids are not prisoners but but the feeling is that if you don't have 50 50 custody there's something wrong with you like you've lost in some way you've Mm. you know if it's 60 40 you're already like ooh, you know like your spouse won something from you or they got one over it's definitely a zero-sum game isn't it there's there is nothing about full custody that is supposed to negate the full visitation potential so you the like one parent can have full custody and the kids it could be understood that they visit with you half of the time like there's nothing about so, the, yeah so is custody defined as the house the, the the roof that you sleep under yeah i think so i think it's the right. the established home and it's yeah. the rights of the parent to make certain decisions that's what's on the table yeah the right gotcha. of that parent to yeah to make decisions and unfortunately in the u.s i don't know how it is in australia but uh it's probably the same in Canada, but the, the financials go along with the distribution of custody so that you end up with a situation that if someone has 100% custody, they also get 100% of the money. Yeah. And so yeah. you can actually end up paying your ex to not ever get to see your kids. It's completely ridiculous. And when yeah. you get to 50-50, then you're looking at some balance of... Um, you know, between the the salaries of the of the two parties and the lifestyle and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the money really goes along with the distribution of custody, and I think that's that's not helpful. One of the things I've been wondering about is is what what's the answer? How can we actually sort of help the situation? And the word that just keeps springing to mind is like compassion. Yeah. And I think it, whether it's compassion for ourselves. And can, well, definitely. Well, I, I was thinking compassion for others. We just need to look at things and just think, how can I help? Or how can I empathize with their situation or whatever? But then also compassion for yourself. And that's something I've been totally trying to, trying to do because it's so easy to run yourself ragged and, and you know, wear yourself out and not give you the, the rests and the breaks that you need to recharge. And, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And just to say, this is the best I can do right now. And so it's okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, On a regular basis. <laughs> Not yeah. a day. You oh, set an I alarm. Mean, I, I'm just going to say this is the best I can do right now. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I know there are so many people who are feeling pressured by having to work at home. And meanwhile, the kids are at home. And it's just a, you know, it's a complete crap show. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the word I was going to use. <laughs> well, you said it better than I did. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I can't imagine personally, really, I can't having to 
having to do my regular day's work from a home computer with my kids surrounded by, are, surrounded by saboteurs who are trying to like I'm supposed to be homeschooling them or keeping my you know kindergartner in front of the screen all day which is what's supposed to, like it's completely absurd um, yeah. but these are crazy times and I think everybody's just got to you know you do what you can and yes give yourself with what you've got <laughs> give yourself yeah. grace give, you know well when we went into our second lockdown I had totally I thought I was going to be an amazing teacher I just had it in my head oh yeah this teaching thing I've worked in education it's going to be easy you know we're going to have such a and I set the expectations way too high yeah. and the wheels fell off within minutes <laughs> and and it, and it all came tumbling down and I was just beating myself up and the second lockdown we moved out to Sarah's mum's uh, house because she's got a little bit of land around her so that the kids could build tree houses and stuff. And we just went, you know what? This school thing is not working for us. First lesson is how to start a fire without matches. And we just spent like the whole morning cooking breakfast on an open fire. And to, that to me was just, I'm going to make the most of this time with the kids. and I'm not going to fight with them over this. You know, I'm not, yeah. for some reason, I can't get this homeschooling thing wired tight. So I'm not going to beat myself up on it. I'm just going to do the things that I know I can do well. And so just that reframe changed it dramatically and took the heat off myself. And it just That's became cool. fun. And it became a, a, like a blessing, I guess. You know, we get to spend great time with the kids. That's and, so um, wonderful. It was a circuit breaker. It really was. Yeah. Nice that you got to do that. Yeah, yeah, that was, was super lucky because I know there's so many people that couldn't, you know, whether they're locked up in an apartment or like you said, you know, their, their kids were with, you know, the, the other household. So, yeah, 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 I think very, very fortunate on many levels. I think many of us feel that way as well. So why should we feel like so anxious or, you know, troubled or complaining? You know, can't complain. We're in a really good situation. Yeah. But um, I think we just got to be kind to kind to others and kind to ourselves right now that's that's a beautiful place to sign off i i love to finish with compassion i think that's that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> cool i agree yeah well that's a good thanks way to again finish. thanks again for doing this and uh we'll oh, keep in touch because i i really enjoy talking with you yeah thanks so much tracy and keep doing the great work that you do i really love listening to your show thank you one thing I want to go back to here is the idea that it's so much easier to be a stepdad than a stepmom. They just have to stand back and wait and watch. They just have to be good listeners and support their partners to do the real parenting of their own kids. Hey, wait a minute. Why can't stepmoms just do that too? If that works so well, why is it so hard for women to copy that model? I'll tell you why, we do it to ourselves. It's like Rich said, there's a natural instinct that kicks in when we're around kids. We actually want to fit into that mom slot in the family motherboard. Think about that word, motherboard. Doesn't that just speak volumes? It's actually a strain for women to stay in the back and watch. But that's the money position. That's your winning spot. It's like a long marathon where the winning racer hangs back and sticks to their own strategy. You don't see the winning racer bolt out of the blocks and be in front the whole way for 26 miles. And the step family thing is like a marathon, right? It's definitely not a sprint. 
but we somehow want to shine as if we're sprinters the whole time. The stepdads aren't fighting an instinct that makes them pick up other people's toys and do their dishes or make them brush their teeth. How many stepdads are stressing because their stepkids don't brush their teeth? I'm not saying men don't have parenting instincts. Of course they do. But it probably makes you uncomfortable to think about a man instinctively disciplining his wife's kids with a loud voice or a stern look, right? Well, you have to translate that into mom language and see how it feels to be nagged or punished by your dad's wife instead of by him. I really loved one thing Rich said about letting his kids work problems out on their own versus his instinct to jump in and kind of fix the problem himself. He said, am I robbing them of these experiences? All you have to do is ask yourself that question and you're 90% there to stepping into the answer. Don't forget about self-compassion in all this too. Like he said, it was a kind of circuit breaker to just change up what he was doing, not beat himself up with thoughts about failing at homeschooling or whatever it might be in your case, and just doing whatever it takes to make the best of it. Are you sitting there right now wondering, how on earth could I ever stop beating myself up about my family life? Because nothing I do seems to work, and it's not getting any better. Do reach out for a chat. It's time for you to use a circuit breaker and say, hey, I could get a little help with this like other people do every day all around me. I could hire someone to throw a rope over that wall and show me the fastest way to climb up and over. I don't know you, so I don't know if I'm the best person to coach you, but there's only one way to find out. Let's have a chat. If I'm not the one for you, I'll point you to someone else. It's that simple. Here, I'll even let you start by just checking out my free restorative parenting quick start guide. And then you'll have an idea of what it could look like to plan out a winning strategy. So you can stop hoping that elephant under the carpet will just go away by itself. Go to bit.ly slash dad again. That's bit.ly slash dad again and get the restorative parenting quick start guide. All my contact info is in there too. That's it for this episode. The Essential Stepmom is produced by me, Tracy Poisner, from my fancy-ass recording booth in beautiful downtown Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. I'm always super happy to hear from you with comments and ideas for future podcasts. Let me hear from you at info at essentialstepmom.com or you can leave a voice message if you're listening on anchor.fm. Talk to you next week when I'll be in conversation with Richard Capriola, author of the book The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. You don't want to miss that. Bye. Bye.